Hello, and welcome to another edition of Citing the Tone Interviews. My name is Elizabeth, and today, Daniel and I are pleased to get to sit down with Mr. Darren Lees. Mr. Lees worked behind the scenes in the props department for medical scenes on seasons 10 through 15. Mr. Lees, thank you very much for taking the time to sit with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, uh, how would you say you got, uh, what was your process for getting into working in television, and what eventually led to you working on ER? Well, uh... Uh, I really lucked out because ER actually was my first uh, job in Hollywood. I uh, went to film school up in Montana and came down to LA and was trying to hustle to get in anywhere I could. Uh, I was pushing shopping carts at Costco and uh, <laughs> a buddy of mine from film school, he actually was PAing on ER. He was lucky enough to get a gig on it and uh, one day he called and said, hey, you want to you want a gig working on this show? Uh, doing medical stuff. And I'm like, well, I don't have any medical experience. So uh, he said, that's okay. You'll learn from the people who work on the show. Uh, and I didn't really know what that meant at that time, but I just wanted to get on set anywhere I could. And so I jumped the chance and, uh, and uh, you know, next thing I knew I'm, I'm on this fantastic show. This, you know, they're, they're 10 seasons in and it's a well-oiled machine. And, uh, uh, I just uh, I just jumped in and and held on and <laughs> and started like that. Um, <laughs> my specific uh, my specific job was uh, medical tech, and uh, there was uh, basically the whole set is a, is a moving prop, um, and um, and so there was the actual prop department, which included two alternating prop masters an assistant prop master who was always on set and a couple other ancillary prop people who were always on set, uh, a set decorator, uh, on set dresser, and then two medical techs, myself and, uh, and, uh, and another guy. Um, and basically we were there to assist the prop department and the real doctors in any way that we could. So that was everything from what we called hooking up the patients which was, you know, uh, putting all the EKG leads, blooding them up, um, you know, to simulating heart monitors and making flat line. I, I kind of joke that I've killed more actors in Hollywood. <laughs> so what would, so take us through like what a typical day looks like for you on the side. Like what were your responsibilities? So a typical day for, for me and most of the prop department is to show up and read the script sides for that day. And, um, and see what we're in. For anybody who's seen the show, you know that there's a lot of trauma. <laughs> we have big traumatic episodes or scenes in, uh, that it, that took place in either uh, of the trauma rooms. Uh, we would um, we would be working hand in hand with the actual doctors who were our our medical advisors that worked behind the scenes. And so uh, between us and them, we would all choreograph what needed to be in the scene where it needed to be, what actor was going to touch it, um, so on and so forth. We, um, long before I started, they implemented something called medical maps. And a map is basically just a sheet of paper with a stick figure in the middle, laying uh, drawn on the middle of the paper, laying on a bed. And then written all over the paper are what needs to be in the scene, uh, whether it's uh, do we need, uh, you know, syringes or a chest tube tray off to the right, off to the left? And so we would start our day by reading the script and going off of those maps that everybody had, uh, 
that the doctors had drawn up and uh, we would all confer on. And so we would basically start by dressing the room uh, with all those props. And then, um, then usually the doctors and the director would come in and they would do uh, a medical technical rehearsal. So they bring in one actor at a time and all the, all of us prop guys and medical guys would be there and um, they would, they would start by teching actor number one and say, okay, so you're going to stand at this part of the bed, pass this IV and this person's going to uh, plug in the EKG leads and so on. And so it, it was kind of, uh, it kind of became a big, a big uh, medical dance. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. choreography that goes on in the show as, as madness as it might look on camera, you know, for the benefit of the drama, there's a lot of planning that goes into that, obviously. So, um, so once those rehearsals are done, uh, the director basically takes a look at it and he figures out where he wants to put the camera based on the medical blocking. And then, uh, you know, then we start shooting the scene by piece by piece, obviously. And, uh, so, uh, I would have to do anything medical, like I said, hooking up the patient. So if we're doing a chest, uh, a chest tube tray, we probably have some sort of, uh, prosthetic apparatus laying on top of the chest of the actor. That's, uh, that's got a lot of blood and guts inside. And so we need to bloody that up. And, um, I'm usually, uh, for, for any given time, I'm usually crouched or laying underneath a gurney uh, with a little remote control in my hand, controlling, um, whether the patient lives or dies or if we're flatlining <laughs> them or spiking the rhythm. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm in a lot of scenes. You just can't see me. So how, how long does, how long does something like that, like an average trauma, how long does that take to shoot? I mean, I know each one's probably different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they would oftentimes uh, block a lot of, uh, a lot of trauma room scenes together, um, which is good for, you know, the technical aspect of, of, of kind of block shooting, you know, your episode, you want to shoot, shoot all your actors and your locations out at one time and then move on to your next location and although we were always on the same stage you know it was kind of like when we stepped into trauma room it, it was usually like trauma rama and we do trauma like all day um gotcha. so um a lot of shows i feel like most shows were probably shooting about six pages six to seven pages a day and a page usually equals about a minute of screen time and because as you guys know uh, ER is rapid fire dialogue. And so for us, a page didn't necessarily mean a minute because that page could go by very quickly because of all the movement and dialogue. So we would end up shooting an average of uh, 10 pages a day instead of the normal. And, um, and we would usually get that day done within 12 hours. We were, you know, 12 hours is a kind of an industry average. Mm -hmm. Uh, some shows go more. It's pretty rare that anybody goes less. Um, but, um, you know, we would uh, we shooting shooting the trauma scenes were usually fairly uh, quick, um, but a lot of that time went to all that preparation ahead, uh, the choreography that I was talking about and the, and the planning and the plotting. Um, so that would actually usually take longer, uh, take a couple hours to do all the technical rehearsals, and then we'd shoot it, uh, you know, probably within a couple hours. And so if we had four or five trauma scenes to shoot that day. Um, that would fill the day up. Yeah. There were a couple of unique experiences where, you know, we'd get people in like John Wells, of course, who was the showrunner and, uh, um, 
you know, executive producer for much, much of the run of the show. And he'd come in and want to do interesting things like, uh, you know, we, we did a great episode. Um, uh, I can't remember if it was the, uh, the finale of season 12 or 13, but we did this, I think it was like a 13 page one or, and, uh, one is what we would call it when we would do one of the famous long steady cam shots, which the show was famous for. Mm-hmm. And some usually, you know, they would do a lot of oneers where people would be walking down a hall and then you'd go to the nurse's station and you'd walk through the curtain area and then back through the, you know, the ambulance bay or so on. And, you know, those are hard enough to choreograph when people are just walking and talking. But then when you implement all the medical stuff that needs to happen in a trauma scene, um, that obviously takes a lot of planning and a lot of choreography. We did a really fun, um, a fun episode where actually we had to, we had to um, set and reset so many props without the camera cutting. Uh, all of us prop guys had to get dressed up as nurses in scrubs <laughs> and trauma gowns so we could weave around the camera. And if the camera did catch some of us, we looked like we were a regular background nurse. Um, and in that scene, I actually got a, got a creep in uh, next to uh, uh, Melissa Gilbert and uh, we had a we had a it was a pregnant lady on the trauma room bed and so we had to start the shot by having uh, a fake pregnancy belly on her the camera went fluidly into trauma two and while that camera was in trauma two we were taking that belly off of her putting a separate belly on her which included the the crowning head of the baby covering her crotch and there was a handle on the side of this apparatus. So by the time the camera was done in trauma two and swung back around into camera one, I was there with my hand on the lever and the camera panned down to see the baby's head uh, turtling back into the mother. <laughs> and uh, and then the camera swings around and does a 180 and goes back through. And again, it was like a 13 page scene. So without cutting, so that was a very unique experience. And that was one of those cases where that was kind of like one scene, but it was the bulk of our day. But, you know, obviously on an average of doing, uh, you know, 10 pages a day to do a 13 page scene all in one take uh, without cutting, you know, a lot of choreography goes into it. But once you shoot it, you don't have to get any coverage. You don't have to get any alternate angles. So even though that was a crazy day, I feel like it was actually a short day. Wow. I, I'm stressed Something out else. just hearing about it. <laughs> I wasn't even there. Um, so I, in kind of researching and prepping for today, um, I found out that you trained at some point as an actual EMT. Um, and did that training kind of inform some of the work that you did on the show? Yeah, good question. It's um, so, so when I, like I said, when I jumped in, I was like, I don't know anything about medical. And so basically I started learning from the actual doctors who are our writers and technical advisors behind the scenes. And so I kind of, you know, for, for the certain things that we were covering in the shows, you know, the more you do like a chest tube tray or a thoracotomy, even though I would do that in real life, I feel like I learned how these processes worked mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, well enough to implement it for, for TV. Um, and at a certain point, um, actually after ER ended, I, I trained as an EMT. Uh, because okay. I wanted to just expand this knowledge um, and, you know, be able to apply it in, in, in a bigger way. Because even after ER ended, uh, I was lucky enough to go on to other medical shows 
and uh, I go out on set and um, where uh, and I and I'm a medical advisor as well now for scenes that I feel like I can handle. You know, there are certain things where uh, there are plenty of doctors out there that that know way more than me. But there's a lot of stuff that because of what I learned on ER and what I learned in my EMT training that I feel like I can go out. So I go out and I'll do choreography of scenes and um, and, uh, you know, confer with the director on what it should look like and that sort of thing. So. Um, so yeah, a lot of my medical training, my, my actual medical training came after the fact, nice. um, but ER definitely was like, I became an unofficial journeyman doctor. I felt like uh, <laughs> a lot of us did all the prop guys, you know, just co constantly just wanting to know what we're doing too. And, and, you know, reading the scripts ahead of time, of course, wanting to understand what these things meant, researching, conferring with the doctors, watching videos online and just, just trying to understand how we could make this look real and, and just and just understand the actual mechanics behind all of it. Yeah. So that actually perfectly leads into our next question. Um, ER had a reputation of being one of the, one of the more medically authentic medical dramas. Um, as someone whose job it was to make these things look as real as possible, what do other shows of its type get wrong that ER was able to get right? Hmm. Um, everything. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> um, it's uh, it's been a it's a very unique experience going from ER to then going to other shows um, because ER and everybody that that came through there ninety percent of the time everybody wanted to to adhere and and be a slave to to what was medically accurate you know as long as as long as they could tell their story with the camera and the actors efficiently um, you know if we said. You know, uh, I, I remember, you know, James Woods we had in there and he was he, he that was later in season 12 or 13, I think. And he was he was suffering from ALS. And so his character was constantly going downhill. So I feel like every scene he had, like, you know, he was in a wheelchair. He had like a CPAP breathing apparatus on that covered his face and made him look super goofy. Nobody blinked an eye. Uh, cut to five years later, I'm working on another medical show. And we recommend that based on what's happening in the script this guy needs to basically wear the same thing and we put it on the actor and the director laughed and said you got to be kidding me there's no way we're shooting our actor looking like this and it, it was just this rude awakening of wow um i'm really spoiled i came from the show where everybody wanted it to look matter if it looked silly or if it made their actors look look unattractive or you know like it was there's a realism in that show uh which which I knew while I was there, but I almost took for granted. And, and, mm -hmm. and because I just figured all shows did that and all shows wanted to be this accurate and then stepping away once the show ended and, and going out into the real world where people want their actors to be beautiful and they don't want goofy things sticking out of their nose. And uh, sometimes it's difficult for me to convince a director just to allow me to put a nasal cannula uh, tubing or an oxygen mask on an actor's face. It's like, well, they're dying. They need yeah. something. Yeah, but they don't look that cute with that on. And, and so, <laughs> you know, it, sometimes it comes down to something as simple as that. And it's like, man, um, it's uh, it's difficult to try and put the realism forward. Um, of course, there are still shows out there uh, like Grey's Anatomy and uh, that, you know, some could argue, you know, maybe they, they don't adhere to it as much. Um, I don't know. Um, but uh, 
but I mean, I, I think they try and they try and hold up to a similar standard as ER as far as uh, as far as far as the realism. But but at the end of the day, it really does come down to like um, the director's vision, um, you know, combined of course with what the producers want out of their show. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so it, it's difficult, and and it and it's also it depends on the network you're working with, because uh, I've definitely worked on some some network shows versus cable shows where we couldn't even show blood on a medical show um and i don't want to name names for some shows because i don't want to make anybody look bad or whatever but there (laughs) were there were some shows where they're just like we you know we need to amputate a hand okay cool so we have a fake hand we have a fake arm we've got it laying in a bowl there's blood there we've got to sew it back together yeah but we're never gonna see that (laughs) so it's like oh okay (laughs) Got it. I just came from the show where we were constantly, you know, ripping babies out of people and, and frying people's chests open and, and the camera seeing all of it. And then these guys don't even want to show somebody putting a needle through a fake piece of skin. Uh, again, quite a rude awakening. So ER, ER, I feel like stands stands quite alone in its uh, quest for for being medically accurate and, and just uh, you know, uh, dramatic and shocking, obviously, at some times, and really paving the way. So when you're setting up kind of a basic medical scene, whether it be a trauma or just a patient in a room, you know, where there's going to be a scene where they're talking to a doctor or nurse, whatever, what's what would you say is something that to the audience or to the layperson looking at it um, looks like kind of the simplest part or simplest looking part of it that actually, when it comes to your job and what you're worried about, is actually quite complex to achieve? I guess just kind of the, the choreography of, uh, you know, the, the fact that everything looks so natural in the way people are passing items back and forth in the madness of a trauma room. Um, the, uh, um, I mean, I guess, I guess really it just comes down to the to choreography. You know, you see these mm-hmm. shows, the camera whipping around so fast, actors saying their dialogue, uh, you know, walking and chewing gum. <laughs> It's uh, it, it is it's more difficult than it looks, and uh, but but that's part of what's what's gratifying about seeing a show like ER is that, it, if we've done our job right, it it does look like madness and chaos just happened, and everybody was trying to improvise on the spot to try and save somebody's life, but really it was hours of planning before that camera ever rolled. Um, that those are those are the biggest uh, the things that probably people don't realize we put into it um you know any and and, re, and getting down to the, the brass tacks of it all sometimes putting on gloves for an actor <laughs> is the most <laughs> difficult thing uh especially if we've done uh take after take and their hands are all sweaty and uh, they need to you know say their line while they're putting on gloves and then they're going to examine the patient examine the patient and uh they can't even put their gloves on because their hands are so sweaty and like we've blown take after take for something as simple as that. Sometimes it's the simplest things that you just don't even think of where it's like, well, all right, here we are. Take five because we got to powder on somebody's hands and uh, so they can get into the gloves. So, uh, so where we are in the current timeline of the show, you know, as of this recording, we're about in the middle of season two, we've seen some pretty rough uh, chest compressions from various cast members. Some really just like, Oh, they're going to break their ribs pretty easily they keep doing this um as someone who advises on technique what are some of the finer points you try to get across to an actor or actress who's trying to simulate effective yet safe chest compressions 
That's a good question. And um, while we're uh, kind of on that that note, I will. Um, I, I know that there were some problems, and there's problems on any show where they have to do compressions. Um, we eventually implemented on the show um, chest compression shields, which, uh, depending on on how intense and how much of the uh, uh, of the compressions we needed to see on camera, we would mold an actor's chest uh, ahead before the uh, in pre-production, and then we create a hard fiberglass shell of their chest with uh, with kind of long wings that would go off to the side that would hit the, the mattress uh, underneath them. Uh, sometimes that would just be under their shirt. Sometimes there would be a, a prosthetic skin piece on top of that to hide it. And that was, and so putting that on top of an actor, um, the doctor could actually lay a lot more force onto that compression shield. Uh, and the force was displaced throughout the fiberglass chest shield instead of actually on the person's rib cage. So that was something that was implemented later that uh, that saved, you know, quite a bit of, uh, uh, you know, pain and and uh, and instruction on how to how to pull your punches, so to speak. Um, but one of the main things that that I try and convey to the actors uh, when I'm when we're trying to stimulate it is, um, you know, obviously you've got to have your correct hand placement and keep your arms straight. And usually what it comes down to is you know, in real life, you're really supposed to thrust all of your body motion down onto this person and keep your arms as straight as possible. Sometimes we'll tell the actor to give a little bit of give with their shoulders so their arms stay straight, but the actual, the the downward motion comes from their torso and not necessarily their arms. Um, and so there's a little bit of pivoting that goes on in the shoulders, obviously not too much because then it starts to look like uh, they're kind of goosenecking a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of it can be cheated just with uh, with kind of the the pantomiming of of their body but not necessarily the force onto the chest uh, some of the things I feel like people when people do pull their punches with their CPR compressions it's it's usually like they've kind of they've bent their elbows and they're they're kind of their arms look more like wings and you can tell that there's really no force going down on there but as long as the actor keeps their arms straight and pulls their punches a little bit it's usually pretty convincing that's I, I would have never thought of something to do like that shield they were describing that's absolutely fascinating how did that do you, how did that come about uh that uh, that was way before my time i feel like it was um it was a just something that kind of evolved out of uh the the prop people and the makeup people and the doctors on set just trying to figure out if we're going to be doing this all the time obviously you can you can keep teching actors on how to do this but wouldn't it be great if we just had something that was in place for safety and what would that be and how can we do it um, obviously in a perfect world you know there's a lot of different body types out there so in a perfect world you would want to get a, a compression shield molded to each individual actor which depending on the budget of the show at that time we would be able to do and then you know some shows maybe oh well they're trying to save on on money for this episode so we could maybe recycle you know, one that we did a year prior, you know, this guy's got a large body type. I think we've got a large body type male chest piece in the closet and we try it on this guy and, you know, uh, we'd be able to, to cycle him through and, um, and get him to fit people. Uh, but yeah, I think it, I think it just kind of came out of, you know, just the more the, the show was on the air, I, there was probably 
I feel like there were always landmark seasons where, you know, no show has any idea, even something as successful as ER, they never know how, how far they're going to go. So, you know, probably at a, you know, season two, they're like, wow, this is great. We're starting to win Emmys. Uh, maybe we should think about uh, getting some better this or some better that. And they do. Maybe season five. Oh, you know what? We've been doing chest compressions for a while. Why don't we figure out some way to do this uh, safer? Oh, you know what? You know, we do so many baby births. You know, uh, how many, how many times, how many, how many babies are we going to have to create? Um, which is a whole separate story. But yeah, um, um, we used to, uh, yeah, let me go down a side track real quick, which is we used to have uh, a lot of storage off in the wings of the stages and uh, obviously a lot of props for the show. And uh, for a long time, we were able to uh, of the script was if we were birthing babies or doing C-section. And those babies are very expensive to make. They're probably about $5,000 on average to make um, out of Whoa. silicone and, and an apparatus underneath. And if they're going to be electronic, you can at least multiply that, you know, to 10 thousand or more if the you know if, if it needs to be an animatronic baby or the eyes need to move or something like that but we would have we had closets full of babies for years and when the show went down at the end of season 15 we had to catalog all the babies and it, it was uh, it's a very surreal thing to basically have a bunch of you know plexiglass totes filled with <laughs> filled with babies <laughs> um and uh be, you know, some of them we were able to salvage, but some of them had been in there for years. And uh, anybody that's worked with silicone knows that it, it starts to kind of leak after a while. It's got kind of an oily texture. And, um, you know, being locked up in these cabinets for years, uh, we'd pull out a, a baby that had been there for 10 years, and uh, it was kind of like a big pile of jello. Uh, so uh. We'd, we'd have to get rid of a bunch of babies uh, by the end of the show. But, uh, yeah, that was that was another unique uh, part of the job was just having shoeboxes and 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 basins <laughs> filled with individual babies, <laughs> baby A, baby C, baby D. Um, yeah, yeah, that's quite unique. Um, and just side, another side note: while we're talking about babies, one of the one of the most uh, unique experience I can remember having on the show was. Uh, uh, Am I allowed to talk about spoilers for, for future seasons of your show? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Have you guys already seen the latter seasons? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah so we've... later in the in when my tenure, Maura Tierney gets pregnant, Maura Tierney's character, Abby, and she had to have a C-section. And so, of course, that was like a full day of in the OR, prepping for the C-section, filming the C-section. And so probably the weirdest and most unique thing I ever had to do on the show was not just learning and, and helping to perform that C-section and the doctor, uh, the character, the doctor pulling the baby out during the scene. But my job was to reinsert the baby into Mora's fake belly, the slit in her <laughs> fake belly, take Jesus. after take. So that's <laughs> doing medical stuff is, is interesting, but doing something like that is just was so surreal and something that, you know, you can put it, put an IV on somebody and pour some fake blood on somebody for a scene. But once I got, got into that, it was like, this is a, this is a whole other world. I'm literally 
doing a reverse C-section, you know, 20 <laughs> times today. How many times did you end up having to do that scene? Um, I mean, you know, just depending on how much coverage you do. I mean, I feel like I had to reload that baby into that stomach at least 20 times that day uh, just because of all the different coverage you have to do. You know, you're going to do a big one shot, you know, you're going to do the wide shot or a one around the room and then you want a close up of all the main characters. And, you know, sometimes just even if even if something's off camera, just for the motivation of the actor, we still want to reset things as close to how it was in that that main master shot um, as we can. So sometimes it's really difficult or time consuming to reset okay, we have to clean off the blood, we have to do this, we have to reinsert the baby into the belly, and if the cameraman says, don't worry, it's off camera, that's fine, maybe we'll hold on it, but sometimes just for the motivation of the actor, they'll be like, you know what, I know it's off camera, but I still want to pull the baby out of the belly, so, you know, uh, so yeah, yeah, again, probably 20 times that day, um, you know, that was, that, was, that was a big day, it probably took half the day just to shoot that scene, and, uh, yeah, you know, you've got a lot of shots and, you know, depending on how the performances are going or the camera's going, you got to get multiple takes for each shot. So, yeah, dozens and dozens of times. Uh, so one of the things you mentioned earlier was that you, you think you've probably got the record for having killed, quote unquote, killed the most actors on the show. I like to think so. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that came before me. There's 10 years of deaths that happened before me, but um, uh, it just... It just really started. It just really started to stack up for me. The more I'd, <laughs> I'd go lay down behind the bed or underneath the gurney, and uh, it just it started to kind of become, uh, you know, I just I just started to to uh, to just realize how much my my body count was stacking up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just started to started to kind of again, just such a unique part of this business. Uh, uh, yeah, probably my favorite one was uh, was uh, we did a great episode with Ray Liotta um, called Time of Death, where they they basically did the whole episode in real time um, as he, his character comes into the ER and he's dying and they do all kinds of stuff to, you know, torture devices to try and keep him alive, and sticking tubes in every part of his body and stuff. And, and there was this amazing moment at the end of the episode where uh, you know, of all the madness that happens at the end of his life, it comes down to Ray Liotta dying on the trauma room. Gurney and Mackay Pfeiffer's character, Pratt, uh, standing over him, crying and, and uh, you know, basically, you know, living out this guy's last moment. And it's, you know, you see it on camera and it's incredible. And I was crouched under the bed for all of those takes <laughs> in order to flatline Ray Liotta. And again, this was one of these things where, you know, maybe you see the flatline of the monitor in one or two shots, and you certainly don't see it in Mackay Pfeiffer's close-up or Ray Liotta's close-up. But for the motivation of, of Mackay to look up at the monitor and see that flatline at that exact moment, I kept doing it for them. And I was crouched under the bed for hours doing the scene, and it was basically those two actors, the cameraman, the boom operator, and me hidden under the bed and I, there were takes where they're whispering these lines, and Ray Liotta's dying, and I could, I can almost hear Mackay's eardrops falling onto the, the mattress of the gurney, and I'm witnessing Emmy-winning performances from from bed. But I'm in the middle of this emotional vortex, 
Um, and I tell him, you know, take a take. But the the uh, the emotion that I was able to experience, I, I feel so lucky to to have been this strange part of the the drama and the creation of this drama. Uh, obviously, those guys could emote without me hitting the flatline button on the monitor, but still, I feel really lucky to be able to miss incredible performances from just feet away. Um, that's probably one of my most favorite experiences, getting, getting muscle like crouched under the bed. So uh, what would you say is the most difficult or challenging scene to pull off that you can recall, or one of the most? Scene, the scene itself was probably one I ate earlier where we that went between Trauma 1 and Trauma 2 and Suture Room and back again, continuous. Um, to do it in a one or you really, you're not going to cut into it, so you just want one really good one. Had some amazing camera people who could pull off stuff like that, and so. Uh, but that that was like a half a day of choreography, and then a few hours of shooting. But the choreography of all of that, the blood, pulling apparatuses, off, uh, prosthetics off of people, adding new prosthetics on people, um, being dressed up in a gown, running around the room, interacting with the actors, interacting with the props while the cameras swinging in and out of the room. That was quite better in all of our caps that day that was very exciting um that was uh yeah yeah that that's one i always look back on really. um that and i mean that would that was one scene in one day uh the ray Liotta episode that i was just talking about that was uh you know i i believe seven straight days that we shot in order because the episode was supposed to take place in real time with all these these things happening to this guy as he was dying um, you know, you don't often shoot in order when you're shooting any show or movie. So it was unique to shoot that in order, but it was, that was kind of like a, a marathon for the actors and the prop people because there was so much minutia and detail, um, and continuity because we were shooting it in order and trying to, you know, to, to account for the actual clock ticking within the episode and how things were going to time out. Um, so those, those two episodes to me were big, uh, big accomplishments for, uh, just personally and for, for the whole team, the prop department, the camera people, um, and all the actors involved. Um, so we, we've been told by others, uh, that the prop department, uh, props department had kind of a reputation for, uh, pulling practical jokes on some of the cast members, uh, particularly newbies. Uh, is there one that stands out either that you were part of yourself or that one you saw or heard about? Uh, yeah, definitely lots of fun and games on the set, which was awesome. It was a great family uh, of people. Um, pretty common couple of, um, a couple of first-time jokes would be, um, uh, I remember when John Leguizamo came on, we he had to grab gloves on the run and run into the trauma room and uh, we tied about 20 gloves together so he grabbed the, he, he ran by and grabbed a pair of gloves out of the box and the whole thing became a big train that dragged behind him uh, um, pretty pretty easy frequent one would be because we you know the whole the whole set was was a big continuous thing where you know, a lot of a lot of sets. It's um, it's you know, you've got a couple fake walls, and this is a room. You got another couple fake walls. When you entered stage eleven at Warner Brothers, you were in the the emergency room. You the whole first floor 
of the ER was one big continuous set. So it was kind of, you know, like, you know, you have fake garbage cans. Those became the garbage cans where you throw out your lunch. Uh, you've got phones. Is this a real phone? Is this a prop phone? All the computers worked. Is this a prop computer or a real computer? And so a pretty easy uh, trick to do on somebody. And I remember we did this on Scott Grimes a lot. Um, we had a lot of fun with Scott. And uh, we would just, we would put uh, surgery lube, which is basically like KY jelly. We would put it on the receiver of any of the prop phones hanging on the wall. <laughs> And we'd be like, oh, Scott, the production office is on the phone for you. And he'd grab it and put it up against his ear, and his ear would get filled with surgical lube. And, uh, you know, just just fun stuff like that to pass the time and screw with your with your fellow coworkers. Um, there's a lot of uh, practical jokes that came from uh, George Clooney's time, which, um, which a lot of other people could probably tell you better. Um, but... Um, I was I was lucky enough to work with Clooney briefly when he came back. Uh, him and Juliana Margulies came back uh, later in the show. Um, that was uh, that was very fun, and uh, the, he didn't play any practical jokes that day. But there was a lot of a lot of tales to be told <laughs> of, of all of his, the conquests that he had and how many people he screwed with at his time on ER. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, lots lots of fun and games. So w- one question we like to ask all of our all of our guests is, what do you think fans should know about the show uh, from a behind the scenes perspective? Just anything that sort of jumps out at you. The the main thing that that I think of uh, when it comes to ER, especially having worked on other shows after that, uh, I was constantly being told while I was at ER that like you know, you're, you've got it easy now. We're, as soon as the show ends, we're all going to have to go out there and, and work for real. And I didn't really know what that meant until I went out there in the real world and realized that, that our show was like an amazing family. And the, um, you know, your show is called Setting the Tone. And, and that, that obviously is a reference to the show itself. But what I was told was that early on in the show was getting off the ground i believe it was george Clooney and anthony edwards went to their fellow cast members and said we're really lucky that we have this and this and that this doesn't happen all the time so let's not get big heads let's stay down to earth let's not get cocky and whatever they said really stuck with the majority of the cast and that even that wave seemed to carry on even later, way after those those actors that left that I ever worked with on that show were so down to earth, no egos, um, super friendly. The whole environment was like a big family, and you know there were there were times where people just didn't ever you know people people go to their trailer, they need to rest, they need to redo their makeup or whatever. I mean, there are like no Wiley who never went to his trailer. He would sit at the Vail Village in his cat reading a book. He wanted to be available in case they decided, oh, yeah, you know what? We do want you in the shot right now. And I've never been on a show since then where if an actor was not in the shot, they were out of there. Um, and on ER, it was this very symbiotic relationship where, you know, we, we all wanted to be there. Um, and so I, again, especially after working on other shows, looking back on that and realizing what some of my coworkers meant when they say who after this show we're going to go out we're going to have to go out into the real world 
and work on real shows and work with real people. And that meant working with people who weren't great like they were on ER because everybody was was super, super down to earth and a really big family. Yeah, that seems to be the word that comes up most often is kind of family. That's the, the impression we get. Right, definitely. So um, we're kind of wrapping up here. What uh, projects are you currently working on and, and how can fans of the show keep up with uh, your work outside of ER? Well, um, I've worked on various shows since ER, um, but my main gig, once uh, once ER ended, um, uh, Master made a deal with Warner Brothers to buy whatever they didn't want to keep from the show. And we took those items and he started a, a medical prop rental house in Hollywood. It's called A1 Medical Integration. And uh, so that was this, everything that we could get off of ER at the end was the small seed that started this company that's been growing over the last 10 years. And, um, and we, we keep expanding and evolving and buying new equipment, learning new things. And so basically I've been managing that rental house ever since ER uh, ended. And so uh, I'm there with a handful of employees. We are there to answer your questions about how things work, what you might need in your scene. Um, and occasionally, depending on how, uh, you know, a lot of people are intimidated by medical stuff. So some of the first things I hear is, you know, what do I do? And then it, when people start hearing me or my employees talk, it's like, oh, well, it sounds like I need somebody like you out on the set to help me. So I do go out as a technical advisor um, and I'll, I'll tech scenes. Uh, I'll put casts on people. I'll still lay under the bed and flatline people and, uh, <laughs> and keep killing people. Um, but so that's my day job is, is, uh, is managing that rental house. But uh, depending on who needs me uh, and where, you know, sometimes I'll, um, you know, I'll get called on to big features. I worked on, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar for a while doing all the medical scenes. Oh, fantastic. Excellent. Um, yeah, that was outside of ER. That was definitely the, the biggest feather in my cap. That was, that was quite something. Um, I do have a small, a couple small parts where you can see me on camera um, in the Joel Edgerton's movie called the gift. I ended up birthing uh, the baby in that scene. And um, <laughs> I'm also in uh, transcendence with Johnny Depp Um and so, um, and then, yeah, again, just depending on who walks in the door to our rental house, uh, if I'm able to help great and, uh, I'll go on set. Um, I've got, I go on set quite often to shows like NCIS LA. I was doing the lethal weapon show went before that got canceled. And, uh, now obviously with coronavirus, uh, everything's been shut down and the industry just this week is saying that they are allowed to open, uh, by the government. Um, with all those new safety standards that have been put in place. So now it's a big question of what things are going to look like going forward. Uh, we're certainly opening our rental house within the next couple of weeks to be available, be available for, for Hollywood and even independent and student films and anybody who needs us. But it will be very interesting going forward to see how many outside people like myself are, are even going to be asked to come on set, you know, because, uh, because now that the rumor is that they're just going to start writing things simpler, they're going to start tapering things to so where there's less background people. Maybe there's less stuff indoors and maybe more stuff outdoors. Uh, so it will be very interesting uh, 
to see how things uh, play out in the next year or two. But in either case, um, I'll still be available uh, to kill your actor anytime you need. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that'll about wrap it up for this week. Darren, thank you so much for joining us. This has been truly awesome and truly enlightening, too. I mean, I there's... I definitely think a, a unique perspective that you bring to everything having kind of for lack of a better word seeing how the sausage gets made like it's it's very very interesting to hear about all this thank you so much for being here absolutely my pleasure thanks for having me keep doing what you're doing